Hey, I'm Jamie. I'm here with Cameron Coots. Cam, I think I've got a place for us to start. How do you see your future role as a coach or an organizational psychologist? How do you see incorporating meaning and value system and stuff like that? Because it seems like that's such a passion of yours, which is this like broader meaning and broader purpose. Yet your skill set is in this organizational psychology coaching space. And do you see yourself maybe combining those two and using value and purpose to rev up organizational performance? So prepare yourself. It's going to be a long answer. Um, Here we go. That's what I want. So, okay. So so starting off, I think the best place to start off is telling you what my mission is within a conversation and a connection and really unpacking kind of really good quality stuff out of a conversation you need some level of vulnerability so this is i'm about to tell you why i exist and that's like as vulnerable as it gets um so it's a couple sentences but to bring harmony to myself and wisdom to others so i can live a meaningful and fulfilling life to inspire and empower to bring perspective insight understanding and belonging to other people to look for the good in humanity and help it thrive So that's kind of why I exist. And that's a kind of culmination and integration of not only my strengths, my values, my, my character, my personality traits, um, uh, my different roles and responsibilities in life and where I see myself going. So that's, that I call is my guiding compass. Now, in terms of where that goes from an organizational perspective, with organizational psychology, there's a big component, obviously, of organizations in terms of a collective, but there is the individual side too. So in terms of where I really believe that I can make my contribution, and this is also when um, I do actually put together a proper plan to put my podcast together, is I want to, and this is what I'm going to do my whole career around, dude, in terms of coaching and consulting and just talking and presenting is helping individuals and organizations answer four questions. Who are you? Why do you exist? What contribution do you intend on making? And how do you plan on doing that? Now, I can do that for both individuals and organizations, because if we just look at the who are you question, and then for an individual, it's again, going back to like, what are your values? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? How are those different two development areas? How are strengths and talents different and related skills? Um, What are your, again, what are your roles and responsibilities? What are your identities? Because we have more more than one of those unpacking all of this in terms of developing a very clear and concise narrative in in terms of you and understanding who you are from an organizational perspective where that comes in is in terms of what is your brand identity what is your what what are your organizational values what is your culture what are your assumptions in terms of how people interact and behave within within this organization and the reason why i think those are such fundamental questions to ask in the beginning and then why you exist, I've seen you develop a lot more content around that, around there because although I can't think of many other questions to probe deeper in terms of that, once you've got the who are you, I ask you why you exist. It's like it's one of the hardest questions that you can ask, but there's there's very little probing I can do um, and different dire- there's very few different directions I can go about that. The only way to do that is kind of hold a safe space for someone, whether it's an individual or whether it's a group of executives within a um, workshop environment uh, within an organization to actually really unpack and be willing to kind of probe and think. And what ties into this as well is is vision. So when we talk about vision as an, with an organization, we think it's like, okay, cool, where you want to be? And it's like, I want to be um, 
I want to ex- start expanding my internet. We want to start expanding our international footprint, and it's very, it's very commercial. It's 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 not really you know meaningful and inspiring. And when we say vision, it's got to be something, and especially for personal alignments, but then also leadership alignment, is you need to actually picture where it is that you're going to go. And if you've got a clear picture in your mind, it's a lot easier. It's a, it's a lot something. It's it's a lot easier to kind of aim for because the fact that human beings were biologically in terms of our senses also rely so much on our, on our vision. And in terms of our vision is we've got a very, like we've got very blurry peripherals, but very, very high quality focal vision, which means when we talk about what are you aiming at? What are your target? What are your goals? This ties back almost into our hardware from our hunter days in terms of what we are physically actually aiming at and going for. And now because that hardware is still there, but the nature of our kind of social environment has completely changed, we are aiming for new and different things. But that's also why when we talk about visualizations, where um, for me personally, in terms of the more like eccentric way that people like to do visualizations, I don't really buy into, but the, 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 the principle is still very effective. If you can effectively visualize something, um, what you are telling your brain is the fact that I actually know what I I'm aiming for. Um, so there's a hardware component to that as well in terms of in terms of psychology. Um, so that's, that's kind awesome, of man. in terms of oh, cool. in terms of the the why and unpacking where you want to go, um, why you're there. And again, it's like all these questions you're not going to feel like you properly answer them until you've answered all of them because it, mm. it's it's like it's an overlapping Venn diagram. It's not like yeah, it's not it's not a linear causality. Um, but for example, you can't, I don't believe that you can necessarily, um, answer the question of how you plan on contributing if you don't know who you are, why you exist or what contribution you want to make in the first place. And the Mm. same thing goes for, um, necessarily an organization with an organization might start with why you exist first, why are you deciding to create this in terms of what need you're trying to fulfill. But funny enough, funny enough, it also like you wouldn't think it, but the who you are, funny enough, you might go down the chain. Or like it, it seems like a chain, but as you said, it's a like a more Venn diagram type thing. With the mm. who you are, you might f- figure out like, wait, the why I exist and the contribution in that, I actually need to modify this perception of who I am because maybe I actually am trying to be something that I'm not if my why and my how and my what is actually pointing in a different direction. So they, they can go all directions. 100% dude. And that is, that is exactly why then I go back to the, the importance of reflection that I was saying earlier is because yeah. when we get more information, we get more data and we start making more informed decisions. And we're never, human beings are never right. We are never, the only thing that we know for certain in life is that we will die. That That's it. Like the rest of it, <laughs> we have got theories, we've got hypotheses for, but we're never 100% correct. Gravity, for example, mm-hmm. is still a theory. Um, and, and I mean this in a, in a sense of, this is the reason why kind of the scientific method also developed, is the fact is having the humility to believe that I am continuously going to become less wrong but I am never going to be continuously become more right. And that's also the difference between, I think, having a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. You're open-minded. You're letting more information come in. You're letting different things come at you. Well, if you are looking at being more right the whole time, what you're doing is kind of focusing your your vision. And I guess also that's the difference between convergent and divergent intelligence. Yes. So, so would you say a lecture on intelligence, which I won't go down? <laughs> no. So, how do you balance those two things? I mean, it seems like so focus, 
focus is about having a clear direction, but not necessarily uh, defining clear answers. Is it about being open to being wrong, but at least having something you're aiming towards? How do you balance those so two this, things? So this is kind of, uh, this ties into, I think a good way to explain this is through a metaphor that I like to use. And I call it the story of the map and the compass. So what we have been kind of fed um, a lot of the time, and this is by motivational speakers and a lot of um, lots of self-help help books and personal development sites and blogs and, and everything like this in terms of like, dude, since the days of like Plato and Socrates, we've been thinking about philosophy and we still don't have the answers. Like we still don't know who we are, what we're doing, where we're going, um, everything like that, which means that we've been given a, a lot of, a lot of what you look out, look out there tells you what to think, not how to think. Which is why the kind of, if you go into the popular psychology section of a bookstore, there's so many different books, but there's kind of a subconscious feeling of it's like, well, they can't all be right. Um, mm. And if they were right, why would there be so many and so many different constant, constant opinions? And the thing is, that's also because it's not necessarily right for you because it's teaching you what to think, not how to think. And if, 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 if you get told what to think, you'll immediately go back into your conditioning. That's why it's so hard to change human behavior because it's the kind of intentionality required to change your behavior. Um, now, kind of going back to <laughs> just so, so tying back into the actual story, so this makes sense, um, is what, what I'm implying that is we've been given a lot of maps. And maps now, you can have thousands of different maps for thousands of different purposes. So, for example, if I want to get from Claremont to Greenpoint, a world map's not going to help me. Um, if I want to get from um, from my house to my neighbor's house, a blueprint of my house is not going to help me. It might to an extent. It'll tell me how to get to the door, but then not, 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 not outside. And what I'm using that as a metaphor is the fact that a world map would be your kind of like grand vision for your life in terms of like completely seeing the biggest picture. And then um, your blueprint for your house would be going into the depths of your personal identity in like in therapy, etc. But if you don't have your compass intact and your compass, you only need one and maps you've got for thousands of different purposes and for different reasons. And these maps also in a personal development uh, way are anything from SWOT analyses to scenario planning to goal setting, smart goals, five-year plans. These are all maps in order for me to be able to predict I need to do steps X, Y, and Z in order to get to my destination. That's what the purpose of a map is. And that's why we've got all these tools, but we've got so many and new tools come out at the same time, but it doesn't seem to be helping. And I think that's because we focus so much on the maps and what to think rather than not only how to think, but also again, how to put some form of direction here. So now when I talk about the compass, you only need one. And your job is just to make sure that it is as accurately calibrated towards true north as possible. Because that way you're making sure that it is giving you a clear indica indication of what direction you are going in. Now, the reason why this is so important to have a well-calibrated um, compass is because if you open up a map, and I use the example of, let's say, it's, it's, a, it's a valley. And if you don't have a compass that's working, if you don't even have a compass at all, me implying that you don't know, have an, you don't know who you are. You don't have an idea of who you are and what your what is guiding your behavior. What is guiding yeah, I think your they, they say you don't have an internal sense of direction. Is that what they say? Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, I like it. Nice. 
and so some form of kind of internal alignment. And now this is going more down the route of like the talking towards a self-actualization. But I guess that's also if you talk about a pyramid and things coming to a focal point is that you look at the variance and range that your kind of compass needle could have. And as you go up that pyramid, it kind of reduces a bit more. Um, so when you are considering that is that if you don't have a well-calibrated compass, you can have a valley with a river. You see it on, on, on the map um, and mountains on each side. Um, and then you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to start strutting along and keep going, keep going, keep going. It's like you go a couple of years um, and it's like, I feel like I'm making progress. But then you realize like, oh, my God, I've been going in the wrong direction the whole damn time. And wow. that's where people have that's where people have midlife crises because what they realize is they feel like they're making progress. They're looking at the indications around them. It's like this is the map that I've been given. This is where I feel like I'm supposed to be. Looking at the mountains, i.e., reference points. And what do we usually yeah. compare ourselves to? The people around us, the things that we see, what's what's mm. probably guiding us from in terms of what our parents and our peers said when we were younger. Yeah, I guess we get feedback from the environment around us and we take that in and we say, okay, are things going well or not? Well, if I look around, things seem to be going better. So maybe I should keep going in that direction. Exactly. And if you don't if you don't have that clear compass that's telling you that that's the direction that you need to be going in, you're going to be looking up at these reference points the whole time instead of looking down and looking within. You're going to be looking up these reference points all the time. It's like, okay, cool, there's that mountain. River's doing this. Okay, cool, I must be going in the right direction. Oh, I see the mountain as well. You're getting feedback from your environment, getting feedback from people. Yeah. You're getting affirmation. You're getting recognition. You're getting told that yes. this is I'm making progress. I'm climbing up the ladder. I've got a I've got a I've got a promotion. I've got the I've got a relationship now. I've now got a dog. I've now got a house. These things are happening. <laughs> I'm really doing things that are like you know that I'm moving in the right direction. Things are improving. But why yes. do I have this feeling of unease? Why do I feel like there's something wrong here? And that's because your compass is broken, and you're going the opposite direction that you should be. And then when you right. finally realize that, it's like that's that's why people have this crisis of like, have I wasted all this time? What direction do I go in? Who am I? What's the point of continuing? Because now I need to backtrack all that way, etc. Um, yes. So Yo, what's the point of continuing? That's a deep question. Man. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Of when I've when I've gone so far off track. Oh. So now I'm, I mean, I'm super interested now in thinking, so you're saying we've got the what's, or we get told the what's, we're looking at the environment, the environment is also like a what kind of map, but now the how, how to think, how to get that compass in check. What are your yeah. thoughts on, on that? I mean, it's a, it's obviously um, a lot more complicated than talking about the maps. So I'd be keen to just hear like how far you've gotten with that line of thinking, how to get the compass right, how to think. What are the thoughts on that? So if I tie back into the first three questions that, well, I mean, the first four questions that I was asking is the reason why it's so important to um, work on the compass because the map can come after that because at the same yeah it's it's depending on what direction you want to go and it immediately dictates how useful that map is to you yeah now what will calibrate that ca calibrate that um that um compass for you is asking the question of um first of all yeah who are you why do you exist and what contribution do you intend on making um okay so those questions well, are the things that shape your compass yes because the, cause those so, are yeah. Because before you even get to the um, the question, so so if, let's start at the end and kind of work backwards. So in terms of how you plan on making your contribution, 
Now that yes. starts looking at, if I'm going to use business terms, that is your that is your business strategy. Those are the policies and procedures that you can develop in your companies. Those, these are your processes. These are your stakeholders. This is um, your values and your contribution will be more your kind of your value proposition. But in terms of how you plan on doing that, these will be your, yeah. that's it's your methodology. Um, and there's a lot more factors and people at play and it becomes more external after that than it is internal. Um, but the other ones, it's more about, it's, it's about, these are basically guiding questions to allow you to take accountability for yourself, whether it's as an individual or as an organization to, uh, to take radical accountability. And I think that's all that, if I had to boil it down to, that's all that it really is, is if you want to start thinking about how you are thinking, how you are behaving, how you are go, go about going about things and really wanting to, you know, change that or, or better that. The first thing that you needed to do is take radical accountability for yourself in your own life. And again, like when we, when we were talking earlier about the reaction, uh, reacting versus responding is understanding kind of, where those reactions are coming from and how would be how I should best respond. So in an example is if um if I'm taking radical accountability for myself and someone um let's actually use the the um example of me in my contract situation where it um I, I got the six month extension but it like messed me up from a self worth perspective. Um what I did there was and the reason why it also kind of almost derailed me and made me feel lost is because I wasn't taking radical accountability of myself in the circumstance. I was like, this, this is unfair. I'm a victim of the situation. This is something that my environment has done to me, um, et cetera. And I basically just sat down on the path next to the, next to the road that I was going. And I was like, well, like, where am I going? Uh, Cause then it made me realize that I'm looking around at me for reference points as an indication that I'm moving in the right direction rather than focusing on where yes. my compass is. Yeah. So when I, when, when, when I, when I go back to that and I explain and I think about, okay, cool. Well, why am I wanting to blame the environment? Why am I wanting to say, well, why is this affecting my self-worth? Um, how can I go about, about, about this differently? How could the situation be different? So all these questions that I'm asking first and foremost are still kind of, almost exacerbating that belief that it's not my fault. And it's, it's, and this is kind of the almost like ego self-protection in a way. Um, so, so, so that, so yeah, personal accountability is also a lot about overcoming ego. So when I kind of made that decision in terms of like, well, where do I have accountability in this choice? Where, where is my power? Where is my, um, my say and my nice. sense of agency in this. Yeah, I like that. I've also started to tap into that a bit more. It's like, what is the one thing that I might have control over here? And that's the only lever yes. I can move. It's the only thing I can change. So where can I find just this one point of control and then move that thing? Exactly, dude. And that goes into um, what Stephen Covey talks about is the um, your sphere of interest and your sphere of control. Now, people nice. that spend a lot of time and energy focusing on their sphere of, of interest is exactly now they're focusing on the map. They're focusing on the reference points. They're focusing on I'm a victim. I'm, like I could be – I've spent a lot of time and energy focusing on what's happening in um, the Middle East or what's happening in China or happening in Australia. We have no control over these things, but it's occupying a lot of my time and energy. Now, if I focus on what I can control, 
then this is, and that's a much far smaller circle, and it almost becomes harder, but at the same time easier because you look at what's in immediately in environment. Now, to tie that back into my analogy, it's the same as like what you can control is really only your compass and what's immediately in front of you on the map, if you will. You can't control everything mm-hmm. else that's happening on that map. It's, that's the simplest and kind of only way to explain it, is because, again, if you're not taking personal accountability or responsibility for yourself, it's a lot easier to kind of look at what other people are telling me what to think or what I should be doing and everything like that is the only way to focus on the, how you think and how you go about doing things is to really just ask the question um, in a way that's very transparent and compassionate towards yourself. I think that's the critical part is we've spent so much time in the critical mode because I mean, that's also our brains are made for problem solving, which means that, we're going in and analyzing and thinking, okay, cool, what's this going on? How can I improve what needs to happen, et cetera? And it's like, how can, how can I make this better? I need to improve and constantly develop, et cetera. But what you are then essentially communicating to your subconscious self from an emotional perspective is that it, what is it, imply, it, it implies that what the current status is, is not good enough. And it will yeah. only be so later on. And that's very, yeah. that's very different from communicating through a com- sense of compassion where it's like, how can we move forward and um, become more superior to our present self rather than trying to better our, our present self and uh, yes it's a tricky one it's like there's a there's a trick you have to well, i don't know tricks maybe not the right word but like it has to be uh, a space where you are comfortable with where you're at now but also know that you could be better which is yes. you have to hold both of those things at the same time which seems impossible but it is possible. 100%. So I think that's um, another way to look at that is like if we have a conversation with someone that we really love and care about and if they are in a space where they are wanting to improve and do the next thing, but they're also in a career that you know really nothing about um, and you can't really advise them. If you, if you tell me that you want to start going and becoming a Python programming expert, even as someone who's going to be an industrial psychologist that understands jobs, understands the workplace, to be like, I got no idea what you're talking about, dude. I do, I've got no, I'm in no position to really advise you here. The only thing that I can do for you, though, is hold the space to allow you to think and use me as a sounding board and just be genuinely honest and transparent. It's a lot easier when we do that for one another is because mm-hmm. we never really go into the depths of ourselves and our minds because they move so rapidly can go in all these different directions. So when we actually talk to someone about what we're going going through, but the most important thing is feeling safe to be vulnerable and do so. And no matter what you say, it's not going to be wrong. Yes. We can do that for other people when we feel trust and feel vulnerable. But it's, we, for some reason, when like the whole of humanity missed this lesson when they were a kid, but we weren't taught to do that to ourselves. We weren't taught to have that, that aspect of self-love and self-compassion that we hear so many people talking about and we're like, how? So if you want to ask the real question in terms of how we go about doing it, that's it. And then the how yeah. of doing that is a harder question to answer because that's a very subjective thing and it depends on the person. It depends what love looks like for you. It depends what compassion looks like for you. It also depends right. on what you really need from an emotional perspective. And that is kind of the, the fundamental reality is that if you want to really start thinking about how you think and where you're going and what you want to be doing, you need to be able to listen without judgment and to yourself. Right. And that's the yeah, only way yeah, to go about doing it. Instead of criticizing and having to, to have, yeah. 
in ge- yeah, in general, that seems like quite a cool principle to have. Listen without yeah. judging. And then applying that broadly to include to yourself, to include the people you love, and so on and so on and so on. And then, yeah, I guess thereafter, respond rather than react. So like what would be, you know, what would be the appropriate response after you've listened and not judged? Seems like quite a cool little formula there. 100%. And, and, And think about it. If listening without judging, what's another way to describe that? uncritical attention which means that nice. i'm paying attention but i'm not being critical one of my approach not yeah. thinking, nice. I'm, I'm just uncritically paying attention to you and what do you do when you are practicing mindfulness and meditation you are you are practicing uncritical attention to one specific focal point yes you've got your focus on one point you've got your attention on one point and you are practicing not being critical you're just letting things pass so you're training awesome. your mind and brain to do that so if you really, that's why, and this is me kind of not exactly practicing what I'm preaching because I preach so much about the the, the, the benefits of mindfulness and um, and meditation, but the and that's that's all it does. It, it is you are training yourself to provide uncritical attention, and if you provide uncritical attention, you allow the person on the other end, whether it's yourself or another person, to really feel seen. And when you really feel seen, either by someone else or by yourself. That allows you to then proceed without doubt, without hindrance, and without and without self-imposed obstacles. And when you're able to be in that situation, that state of mind, when you feel not necessarily that I can do anything, but it feels like I am okay just as I am, and I now I don't have anything um, kind of standing in my way in terms of like uh, this is not going to be damaging from a relational perspective. It's not going to be damaging from a self-worth perspective because. Um, I'm not going to judge it as that. And I know that the person that's on the other hand holding that uncritical attention for me is not going to judge it either. So mm. if you really want to become as effective as possible for yourself, it, it can be through mindfulness, it can be through meditation. But what you, we really need to learn is to pay, is to learn to pay uncritical attention to ourselves, our own needs, because we implicitly and inherently all as human beings have so much depth of wisdom within us that we have barely begun to understand. Um, And sometimes often people that are in the process of reflecting and and self-actualizing will notice moments of wisdom come from themselves that like didn't know that was there. And that's, and that's really like exciting and interesting. And the more that you're able to kind of pay that uncritical attention, the more you will listen to that inner wisdom. And what implies with wisdom is like, if you are, if you're living your life according to um, following things that are wise, I strongly believe that you won't make many bad decisions. Mm. Um, Mm. Well, you'll make, you'll make the best decisions that you can make, which is the most you can hope for. Yeah. Yes, it's again going back to what we're saying about that uncritical attention. Yeah. When they get in a state of flow, so that's also a psychological construct we could talk about. Um, but when you get in a state of flow, it's when you feel your best and you perform your best. And you can't, and, and what that ties into is all your intrinsic your, your values, your needs, what you care about, what you're interested in, and also what you're good at, where your strengths are. And when I talk about strengths, it's not it's not what you're necessarily good at. A strength is something that makes you feel strong. A weakness is something that makes you feel weak. It's not necessarily something that you're good at or bad at. So, for example, in terms of like, I have a strong ability to um, really to analyze data on Excel. 
Is it a strength? No, it drains the hell out of me. <laughs> but it's something I'm good at. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So when people are kind of playing towards their strengths, then that's when you really see what they are capable of. And that's when you've got the potential for people to make their greatest form of contribution. Yeah. So when you, if you were to do a consulting coaching session with someone, is that something you try to look out for? Do you try to look out like, where's this person lighting up? Where do they get, where do they, where are their strengths? Like finding those. And then is it um, like, is it advisable to get people working within that space of flow and that space of strength like the obvious answer seems like yes but how mm-hmm. practical is it you know because you got you've got people working in jobs and in different roles and you know someone could come to you in a you know in a coaching capacity and say like i need some help like let's chat this through how easy is it to redirect someone's life really like that's that's kind of where it comes to you know how do you slowly move towards maybe a better state or a better direction so, yeah, man, that's also, that's incredibly hard. Um, and another thing from Stephen Covey, which I really enjoy is it's um, behavioral change or forming habits and habits is, is just consistent behavioral change. It is the best metaphor I've heard for it. It's like trying to, it's, it's like sending a, a rocket ship to the moon. It takes more effort, energy, and resources to get that rocket from the surface of the earth to outside of the Earth's atmosphere than it does from the outside of the Earth's atmosphere to the moon, which means at that point you've got less resistance, you've got more momentum, and it's, and the, the, the closer you are to the surface of the Earth, there's more gravity, there's more more momentum that you need to build in order to, to continue. And if you stop, you're just going to fall back down. You're not really going to go anywhere, which means that then implies is that the, that rocket fuel, in essence, is like what are your motivations? What are your intrinsic motivators? Are you looking at and kind of affirming your progress? Are you acknowledging the, the fact that you're making progress? Um, and it's something as small as just getting into an exercise routine. We know how hard it is. If you haven't exercised in six months, the first like two weeks to a month absolutely suck. But once you're like six weeks in, the thought of stopping is um, way different now. But then again, it goes back to what I was talking about in terms of in terms of personal accountability. And now when I'm saying for me going in as a consultant or coach is that if you ask me as like, Hey, cool, this is what I want to go about doing. Can you help me? My answer will be like, I can try. Meaning that I can't guarantee I'm going to help you. I can't guarantee you will see success because this, your, your, the determinant of your success is more about you and what you put in and what you, what you get out of this than what I put in, I can't do the job for you. I can be, I can be a guide in the process, but you are the person that needs to walk the path. And what that then implies is that my approach, whether it's consulting or with coaching, is the fundamental aspect. And again, to, ties ties in nicely to personal accountability and uncritical attention. Is I success for me is for both of us to notice a development in your level of self-awareness is if you have improved your self-awareness and more aware of who you are, those kind of the amount of noise that you're then reducing, that kind of focal point of what we're discussing then kind of starts shrinking. There's this noise and stimulus and input and like, I need to make a decision about what's coming at me there, what that person said, whatever it might be. 
is that you're now you're aware of yourself more and that allows you to have the greater ability to listen to yourself and that applies to individuals as well as organizations organizations when especially big ones with executives um and especially in the c-suites they're very much focused on the obviously the bigger picture and where we're going in the long long direction but in terms of having a deep understanding of what's actually happening on the ground in the operations in the organization's culture on a day-to-day basis there's not a lot of attention that's ready placed on that and when you take organizations and these kind of leaders that take the time away to go back and reflect and actually have a look at what their current status quo is where they are right now they often build out a lot of insights that in terms of like oh wow there's something that we can improve oh that's going well that's not going so well that i didn't really realize so i think either way it just comes to, comes down to is if you do really want to make that change and really be more effective as a person. It's very useful to have someone that can provide you the uncritical attention that allows you to build your self-awareness. Now, it is awesome. easier to do that with someone who's obviously trained and educated to do so. You can also just do that with a really supportive and compassionate friend, partner, family member, sibling, um, whatever it might be, um, because it's the value of having that sounding board. And I go back to saying is in terms of like we already implicitly have the wisdom, we have the answers. We just need to simplify them and listen. And mm. being able to get them out there because our minds go at like 100Ks an hour is when you speak, especially when you write, what you're forcing yourself to do is put your thoughts out there and by then processing them. And that's why I find writing and journaling is a lot more effective for me because I know I can also talk almost as fast as I can think. So by actually writing things down is it forces you to be deliberate and intentional about what am I actually thinking? What is my thought process here? And just by going through that process, why coaching so effective, why therapy so effective, why reflection so effective, why sessions like this are so awesome in terms of just getting your thinking together is when you just when you just talk and you let it come out in free flow, you implicitly, well, inherently start kind of having a look at what your arguments are, your understanding is, and it's, it's that self-awareness. And the more aware that you become of it, the answers start showing themselves to you. And I think yeah. that's the, the, the critical point here is because what we're looking for and what we're asking for is like, I want to be better. I want to be successful. But what people really want is to just be happy and to get to the next level and that's again going to the map and the compass is by going to the map and it's like let me try this no it's not working let me try that it's not working and it's this constant effort of striving and needing to improve and needing to go and it's quite an exhausting process and it's like i'll look at myself later i'll rest and i'll, I'll reflect later once i've made it once i've got there but you never really get there we've got that we've got that the other way around because when you take the time to reflect and then look you calm down and then the answer is just appear to you um and mm. without sounding too kind of abstract actually is because it's it's everyone's wanting something practical everything's wants someone is wanting something tangible it's like i need to know how to do it i need to know what to do it i need the instant gratification i need to show it immediately how and it was like unfortunately it's not that easy um and yeah. it's it's and even if I'm going philosophical, this ties into the fact that life is actually more about the journey than the destination. Mm. And that journey of mm. self-awareness and what's unpacking in the process, especially when you look at it, and again, if your compass is well calibrated, as long as you're following that direction, you are following your own true authentic self. 
And if you are doing and behaving and being in a way that is authentic to you, it is very unlikely you will step wrong, at least in a subjective way that you are yes. you are feeling good about yourself, your direction, the decisions that you're making. Exactly. Like internally you'll be comfortable. Yeah. 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 You'll you'll um yeah, you'll kind of know in every moment you'll know if you if you're going in the right direction or not because you'll be feeling it out you'll feel like does this resonate with me or not yes. and yeah, like along the that self-awareness piece like uh, if you've got that self-awareness and then you add that to the focusing on the journey part every step of the way you're paying attention to what's going on around you and if we think about any journey like think about any journey where in like in a physical way, if you were to take a journey from one place to another and you think back on the journey and you can't remember how you got there, it just happened, you're going to be yes. pretty freaked out. Like there's going to be anxiety. There's going to be sure. like a, a lot of uncomfortability. You'll be like, what the hell just happened? I was there. Now I'm here. And you, you just start worrying. And that can kind of be applied to the self journey. It's like if you're not paying attention along the way, wherever you end up, you're going to be anxious uncomfortable because you don't know how you've got there where you've come from and sure. you it's it's almost like anxiety of the past not necessarily like just the future which is often where our attention is placed is like we're anxious about the steps we're gonna take but mm. i wonder if there's this internal sense of anxiety about the steps we have taken because we just don't know what they've been with the lack of self-awareness so uh, that i kind of see yeah i mean thinking about it the self-awareness is that that one tool you can probably give someone it's just that one tool here's this one thing if you can incorporate self-awareness into your day-to-day at least you have that at least you can Mm -hmm. look at look at things in a slightly uh you can be slightly more observant of yourself on an everyday basis and then that maybe allows that wisdom to shine through that wisdom that's there that says, should I have done that or that? Could I have done this differently or this? You know, how am I feeling about this or that? Was that good or could I have done it differently? And on every small decision in your life, you're recalibrating. If we tie back to the compass, maybe, maybe it's like a recalibration of the compass on on a on a daily basis or on a by moment basis. If you've got your self awareness, mm-hmm. um, your uncritical self awareness on point. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's exactly the point is where what we've then implied of continuing the metaphor is that what you are constantly doing is you're not just looking at your environment and what's happening around you for reference points. You're then going and comparing that again to your compass. And it was like at each moment, it's like, am I still moving in the right direction? Am I still going the right way? Um, and I think what we tied, what, what, when you were chatting there, um, made me think of is that in terms of following your wisdom and uh, like also implied in this is, and the self-awareness and just the, the, the conviction. Cause when we look at people that I think we mostly admire, at least on a subconscious level, are usually those ones that are so unashamed to be themselves. They are so, they've got such a clear conviction in their direction, whether they're right or like right or wrong. It's just, it's just having that self-belief. When we see someone like that, it's like, oh, I want that. That looks like a good life. That looks like like, like happiness and everything like that. And the difference is that, that between those people and the, uh, and the rest of us is that they just decided to listen. They, they're their own internal critic and compass. They decided at some point that that was a more reliable source of information and direction than what was happening externally. 
And that's the only thing that it really is. And when we talk like, and if, I, if we had to go into kind of almost religious scripture and talk about this more philosophically, when we talk about just have faith, the same thing applies in terms of, um, you know, personal effectiveness and personal mastery is that you need to, it's just a leap of faith is, is all your intuition is all the wisdom within you. You just need to, I wouldn't even say you can't even, it's not even something you learn to listen to. Yes. It's something that you can practice and pay more attention to, but it's just that leap of faith and that choice to trust yourself and have that conviction yeah. in yourself. Yeah, totally. It's, t- it's a tough, it's definitely, yeah, the faith is like the only word really there. And I wonder the, how, how can you practically um, make someone feel comfortable about taking that leap of faith? Because it is quite scary to say, let me just trust the process. Let me just trust that I'll end up at the right place. If I have the self-belief, if I trust myself, if I have self-awareness, um, it is, it is quite a scary thing to do. And I think, I think I, I'm still, you know, trying to figure out what are the practical, uh, what are the practical measures to allow you to feel more comfortable about that? You know, are there practical things like, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I have self-trust and, and self-belief, but like focus on some core things, like focus on what are, what are the relationships like with the people around you? What are your relationships like? What are your, what is, do you have, you know, a, a reliable source of income? It's like, do you, like, are there, you know, focus on these like broader practical things that are almost like, are there some like non-negotiable things? Like you're going to be, there's going to be instability and une- like uneasiness in your life if you don't have these like core things, like intimate relationship, family relationships and, and stuff, uh, income and whatnot. Like, are there some core things to focus on? But then like outside of that, um, the way to, the way to get there is more uncertain. And that's where the faith and the trust must come. But realizing that the lack of certain things will always cause uncertainty and instability. It's quite a tricky, mm. it's quite a tricky thing. I'm still trying to wrap my head around. So to, to kind of explain that point is like the, 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 the world can be described by the acronym VUCA. And I don't know if you've heard of this is VUCA is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That is the nature of our reality as human beings, especially because our reality is subjective. As things are volatile, look at what happened with coronavirus. That's the best example of an extreme of this is like the situation is volatile. The situation is uncertain. The levels of complexity, both economically, socially, politically, healthcare system, um, try and do a pestle analysis of what's going on. You see how much com- uh, complexity is going on. Um, and then in terms of amb- ambiguity is like the, the answers aren't clear. It's like, the, it's, it's, it's all gray. There's no black and white. Um, and this is the situation that we're in. And if you imply that that's on a macro level, look at it on a micro level is the fact that it's like, it's, it could be volatile. As you get older, you can sleep funny and just wake up and you've got like a sore neck. Um, uncertainty is like, we're never really truly certain about like, hundred percent what we're doing or where we're going is like the right choice. And even on another level is kind of um, in terms of just what we're saying. And in terms of a lot of stuff that I've said is like, there's, there's sometimes the, when I'm unpacking my thoughts as I'm going, there's a little voice in the back of my head. that was like, mm, do you really know what you're talking about? Um, and that's the uncertainty. And it's coming, kind of having that, again, that scientific humility to not need to be right. It's just to, 
um, theorize and test those hypotheses. Yeah, I like the VUCA framework. Like, I, I like, yeah. So I like where you're going with this VUCA framework because because the what we can be, it's almost like saying, well, what we can be, it, you know, there's uh, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. Um, so there's what we can almost be certain that those will be elements of our lives like we can we can know that there's going to be volatility uncertainty complexity ambiguity so we once once you can be comfortable with that then you can say well let me try not control against those let me try not frame my life and hope for it not to be those things let me expect that to be the situation and then how can i best weather that storm over time and what are the what are the um, what are the tactics and strategies and ways of being um, I can I can try employ in my life that could weather those storms most best and and then maybe that starts tying into what I was trying to poke at earlier poking in the dark at earlier which is the way to weather the storm of volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity the way to weather those storms is to have some form of financial security some form of security within relationships some form of uh, connection with people those are the those are the actually tried and tested methods of 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 ways to like weather the storm we know exists and then we start yeah. to put together okay this seems like a way uh, uh, this seems like something on the compass you know this seems these little ingredients seem to be points and placements within that compass 100 and dude like everything that you said there's obviously like the the financial income the sense of security the quality relationships um every, these are fundamental factors in terms of being a healthy functioning and happy human being and the reason why happiness is the most important thing to be searching for is happy people naturally make better decisions um, they are more resilient. They've got more resources. They've got more energy. They've got more capability to do so. They usually compound positivity, not for themselves and others. And you create a lot of momentum within that. And before I get into those, those other factors you're talking about, just to go back to the VUCA thing, is the fact that exactly what you're saying there is if you accept the fact that the, the world is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and really have that leap of faith that you know what it's okay is that we then stop trying to um, place order on a world that is disorderly. Um, and I say disorderly rather than in terms of chaos, because chaos is a bit of a terrifying word, but it is disorderly. Like it's like, it doesn't make sense. Um, and when you look at that, then what, what's, what, what's then, What's then left for you if you do if you've got if you, if you don't know what to do if you don't really with like with the true conviction that we're talking about is the only the well, not necessarily the only thing that you can do but the best thing that you can do is to work on your way work on your ability to be adaptable and that's what human beings are really damn good at as and and that's what we've almost kind of forgotten and just look and again look at what's happening during this lockdown period now look at how quickly everything's adapting yes obviously there's a lot of devastation like things are going to move between order and chaos and there's going to be damage and then but everything always comes back to homeostasis that is the nature of nature and it's the fact that we we will still survive and we will always adapt but it's it's and the difference there is is the is the choice is that am i Excuse me. Am I go, am I wanting to survive or am I wanting to thrive? Because if you are wanting to survive, that means that you are adapting. Uh, you are adapting post hoc. 
Meaning that when, when your environment and everything happens and things are VUCA, you then react to what is happening and then adapt accordingly afterwards. Well, if you go back to in terms of personal accountability and then your compass and then um, and and your map. Um, and I also want to just say maps are also important for the simple reason that you can have a well-calibrated compass and then it, you see in front of you that there's a massive mountain. And if you don't have a map, then you wouldn't realize that if you did have a map, it shows that there's a tunnel that goes through that mountain, where instead without that map, you might have missed that and you would have to climb over it or go completely around it, which means lengthening the process. These tools and what's and how's are also very useful and important, and I'm not disc discrediting that. I think it's just the cause and effect I wanted to point out and the importance of getting to the self-awareness first. Um, but going to the point of of adaptability and thinking about thriving rather than just surviving, that means that you are acknowledging that the only person, the only way that I can thrive is if I choose to, and I'm the only person that's going to allow me to thrive. And when you look at it, it's like, well, what then do I then need to do so? And obviously researchers point out, like you said, financial income relationships, etc. We know these things. These are important. These are also basic needs, basic human needs that we've got the natural instinctual drivers for that will move us towards that direction anyway. But the subjectivity in terms of what is best for you and what makes you happiest in an individual, what you need most, those are the nuances that you, and you can only listen to yourself. So if you kind of just happen, were operating as a human being on autopilot, you would naturally navigate towards what we're discussing anyway. You're looking for those things that fulfill your needs. But to do it in a way that's really powerful for you and allows you to thrive is when you focus on the specifics and nuances of what that might be. Um, and if we talk about um, financial income in terms of the number of trade-offs there, it's like, it's like, what need am I trying to fulfill? Am I just looking for kind of shelter um, and financial security and making lots of money and making sure that my material existence is nice and safe? Sure, go for it. But if you want to get to that, that's for surviving. But if you want to get to a point of thriving, you need to start making the trade-off and the balances in terms of what is this financial income giving me? What is my source of financial income? And what is that giving me besides just money? What is the meaning I'm deriving? What are the connections? What is the difference I'm making? What is the contribution that I'm making? And that's, again, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That is how we climb up that ladder. And that is how we also become happier. Because if you look at the, like, the bottom ones, it's, um, safety and security, and then um, you look at love and belonging, and that's and that's not just in terms of personal relationships, like the like family and friendships, like that are critical. Um, but the it's also being part of an organization that you feel like you belong, being part of a culture where you I feel like I fit in. These these this is my tribe. Um, and then you get to the point of esteem where it's like over time, I feel like I'm starting to master my craft and make better progress, um, in terms of, I am now making a contribution that is getting recognized, not necessarily by others, but also by me. And then the next level of self-actualization is then how can I be the best version of myself possible? And then one th level higher that's not really on there is then self-transcendence is that's when you start doing things as like, now that I've self-actualized completely, how can I now start giving back? How can I start contributing? How can I start going going out there? Um, yeah, and really um, applying and being everything that I can be. Of course. And what's quite uh, amazing is that it seems like one might have to climb that ladder of, of needs and hierarchy of needs over time. But 
we all, we in a way, we are all satisfying those needs in some way on a, on a daily basis, but in small ways and redefined ways. And I think, you know, it's important to try like just reframe your situation, like with love, for instance, it's like, like, yeah, you might not be getting love in an intimate relationship away, but how much are you loving others and how much are, um, you know, maybe a friend or a family member is loving you in a certain way. So versions of these needs are, are and like self-actualization, it's like, I don't know, you like making the best piece of toast you've ever made in your life every morning. It's like, you know, like in a small way, like you are, you are you, and then are you making that piece of toast for someone else and teaching them how to make it? Cause then that, I mean, it's, it can, it can sound, it can sound trivial, but it really, your level of analysis is completely up to you. And you can either feel like you're in a state of lack. And if you feel like you aren't the best, um, uh, the best app maker or software developer, or you aren't the best banker, or like if you if your level of analysis and measurement is so high, if it's the ultimate measure of your whole life, then yeah, you're going to be in lack for literally your whole life until you achieve that thing, if you ever do. But if your level mm-hmm. of analysis and awareness is on like a day to day smaller level, like try and nail your pyramid today. Like how good's your pyramid looking today? When you wake up tomorrow, how good's your pyramid? And yeah. that's the only way to ever feel like you're hitting it. Ever, because you, if if it's not on that level, um, you you'll you'll always be chasing essentially. Yeah, and I think yeah, that's also a good time to talk about why gratitude is so important. Because mm-hmm. if we're constantly comparing ourselves to what other people are doing or what our ideal self is in the future or where we want to be, we're always comparing. It's like I need to get further, I need to get further. But unless we look at where we are currently and where we've come in the past and acknowledge our own improvements and acknowledge what we can be grateful for, that's when we take a step back. It's like you're doing great, you're doing an awesome job, you're really improving. You can see that. But if you're constantly looking forward and not giving yourself the kind of, you know, if you're not recognizing your own wins and your own improvements. No matter, no matter how much other people might do that for you, it's not going to sink in. You need to be able to do that for yourself. And there's one, the one last kind of point that I wanted to make um, to wrap up what we've been chatting about is the fact that in terms of like the personal accountability, having the conviction in yourself, listening to your wisdom, navigating this VUCA world, um, being adaptable, being really effective and being really happy is it takes work. All of it, it takes work, dude. Personal development, relationships take work. And that doesn't imply the fact that it's not positive. Work takes work. I mean, that's an obvious one, but your, your career does. But in terms of, like, you get out what you put in, man. And I think your, your exact example of when talking about love is, like, when we think about how much am I feeling loved or being loved, well, it's like, well, if you had to take real personal accountability in the situation, how much are you loving? And how much are you putting out there that allows allows you to receive receive such things? So I think personal accountability is kind of almost removing the delusion that utopia awaits, that happiness is around that corner, happiness is that promotion or in that relationship, or when I've got that much money, or I've got or I've accomplished this thing, or even if I've, I've helped that many people, or I've done that many things, or I've made the best toast in the world. Uh, whatever it might be is that it's, um, yeah, it's, it's about the fact that how much you thrive and how happy you become and how much of a contribution that you make 
um, and how enjoyable your life is. And when you can sit on your deathbed one day and look back and like, I lived a life well lived. I regret maybe a couple things because I don't think it's a realistic thing to say I regret nothing. We are humans, but it was worth it. And I did what I could with that is mm. I, I can't think of anyone that doesn't want to feel that way when, when they, when they meet the end. Um, and what that implies is that, and you acknowledge that it's work, dude. And uh, just, uh, just an example to, to kind of make this point practical is that when we're thinking now talking directly organizational psychology now is when we're thinking about um, career counseling and what, what career path do you want to choose and what direction you want to go in. Yes, it's very important to think about what your interests are, what your abilities are, what your strengths are, what your value system is, because that's all going to then inform a kind of, and what, what your needs are. Do you need to be around people? Do you need more isolation? Do you need variety in what you're doing? Do you need structure? All these kind of things imply what is well something will be, you know, ideal for you. Um, because, I mean, that's what we kind of look at it. It's like, if this is a career path that I want to choose, it's like uh, my dream is to be uh, whatever it might be for the individual. It's like I want to be a pro surfer. I want to be um, an exceptional guitarist, an exceptional painter. I want to be uh, a top venture capitalist. I want to be a top CEO, whatever it might be. It's like you need to look at it as like as, as – you need to, it's important to have that vision and the goal in mind in terms of what the kind of glamorous aspect is in terms of what you're aiming for. But it's not good information for today in the sense that it is discrediting the fact that the majority of life is work and the majority of life is hard. Life is not necessarily utopia. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is not a constant state. Um, contentment is that constant state that you're looking for. So in terms of looking for what, a job that will make you the happiest, that's a great thing to go for. But if you're constantly comparing where you are each day to that, that's the lack of gratitude. That's the kind of struggle that we're then applying and discussing. But what's a better thing to look at is what are all the obstacles and difficult things that you will need to do in order to get there? So if you want to be a pro surfer, you need to be able to be put up with waking up at 4 a.m. to get the sunrise surfs. You need to probably put up with um, injuries, spending money on boards, not being, not making much of an income for a long time until you get the sponsorships and start winning competitions, going to competitions, feeling like you're not good enough, not really getting the coach, being, being in the limelight, being by yourself a lot in the water and in the ocean. If you want to be the CEO of a company, you need to be able to put up with the long, slow, linear uh, career growth. You need to be able to put up with all the organizational politics, the slow decision making, um, the corporate culture, maybe um, kind of the constant look and clash of clash values um, and dealing with lots of multiple stakeholders. It's, that's, that's going to be hard. If you want to be a pro guitarist, it's similar to the kind of um, surf, for example, you need to sit there and you need to practice a lot, like six hours a day. Your fingers are going to bleed. You're going to get frustrated. You're probably going to break a couple guitars out of the frustration. But And, and the vision there is like world-famous surfer, CEO of a multinational company, um, rock star guitarist. These are all amazing things that we want to do. But it's again, it's like we, we're in this like almost delusion that we like success is, is strongly advertised, but the kind of path to get there isn't. And so the reason why I point that out and the reason why I'm point is saying is in terms of taking personal accountability and acknowledging the work is when you look at that and you look at the path in order to get there, you look at your different alternatives and your options and you think which one's worth it. And when you make that call and saying which one is worth it in order to get that vision that you do have, then everything that comes in between is then going back to kind of you are now 
you are adapting from a point of thriving. You have prepared yourself for the fact that there will be suffering. You have prepared yourself for the fact that there will, will be struggle because those are two inherent aspects of life that are completely unavoidable. And to run away and try and run and try and avoid suffering and struggling as much as possible is only going to cause more suffering and struggling in the process. If you acknowledge what these obstacles are and realize that those obstacles are also the way and an indication that you are moving in the right direction towards that vision, because our problems will never cease. Our problems will just change. We will just have new problems. You get that house and you get that mansion, which means that you've now got a bigger garden, which means that you need more water and you need more stuff. You get that um, dream job that you've always wanted, but now there's more responsibility and a bigger budget and there's more stress and there's more pressure. We, we are never not going to have problems. It's just deciding which problems are going to be worth it. And that's the career perspective. Same thing applies to individuals and relationships. No one's perfect, dude. Everyone's, everyone's got issues. Everyone's messed up. Everyone who pretends not to be is lying to themselves and to others. This is, this is a fundamental. We've all got baggage. We've all got damage. We've all got issues. We all need therapists. Like that's the fundamental reality. And at the same time, it's like if you stop, if you look at a person in terms of like these are all the amazing things about you, but you don't look at their flaws, those flaws are going to keep coming at you and you're going to keep dismissing them. Like let me focus on the positive aspects and eventually it starts burning you out and you become resentful in the relationship. But if you look at it from the beginning and say these are the flaws that I notice immediately, these are the red flags or anything like that, based on – how I feel about you and this relationship and where you're going. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, dude, like your relationship with your brother, you could have flaws and issues and like their, their responsibility to work it out for themselves, not you. But based on what, how good this relationship can be, are those things that I'm willing to accept along the way. And if they are, it's going to be a much easier ride for you. And I think that's my way to kind of conclude what I'm talking about in terms of then the importance of the compass and the map. The map is understanding the obstacles that are in the way. The compass is understanding where you currently are and the vision of where you want to get to. Um, you need both, but um, the fundamental part about it is, is if I had one way to conclude what I'm saying is do everything that you can to understand yourself and see yourself. And when I say understand, I don't mean to really know yourself and allow yourself to be, to be seen. And do the same for others and work hard, but in the sense of treating obstacles that they are an indicator and they are yardsticks to show your progress and improvement. Yeah. And don't, don't fight it because human beings are naturally adaptable. Amazing, Cam. Thanks, dude. That was yeah, nice wrap up to the whole convo. Thanks so much for the chat, man. Thanks. My pleasure, dude. It was so cool. Thanks to everyone listening. Goodbye.